Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. everyone welcome uh, to another episode of the geek buddies <gasps> hey! well we, we really appreciate you all uh downloading this episode uh on the uh, podcast feed or watching us on the outlaw nation channel here the geek buddies having a good time uh we've been really enjoying bringing you the wandavision reviews really enjoying how many people are watching our stuff Thanks for all the great love for the Superman and Lois review uh, for episode one. If some of you are catching up to that, you can go back to a video from last week. We reviewed it, Superman and Lois, so much fun. We're getting into so many entertainment news today as well. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm the outlaw, John Roca, writer, producer, and host here on the Outlaw Nation. Into my into the middle here. Well, I am Michael Vogel, uh, writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. <laughs> and this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on Silicon Valley, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Modern Family. And maybe the thing that I'm in the middle of taping for <laughs> right now. Hence, my freshly shaven face and my oh-so-buttoned-up tie. <laughs> That's true. All three of us have things we're in the middle of doing right now, but we stopped to record this episode real quick to see if we can get out, get it out for you all. So, uh, thank, uh, so you know, this is the kind of commitment we have to the Geek Buddies for sure. For those of you who are new, welcome aboard. For those of you who are coming back, thanks for staying on the train. For those of you who new, this is how it works. Each one of us brings up a geek news item. We discuss it amongst ourselves for your enjoyment. Take a little bit of a break and then jump into our main topic. And our main topic today is going to be the interview that Matt Shackman did with EW talking about WandaVision as we're on the precipice literally tomorrow night as of this recording at midnight is possibly the last episode of WandaVision, and we are still negotiating whether we're going to be doing a live review of that final episode with our guest, Emma Fife, who's been incredible for these uh, WandaVision reviews for sure. But first, uh, let's get into our first Geek News item, shall we? 
Let's do it. We shall. All right. All right. The first one, it's, uh, this has been burning up the internet. Uh, people have been really excited to hear about some new casting news for the Kenobi series. That is Obi-Wan Kenobi, for those of you who are not Star Wars proficient. But it, <laughs> this came about from Deadline. Shout out to Andreas Weissman, who reported this. The Obi-Wan Kenobi series has cast Indira Varma, actress Indira Varma from Game of Thrones, from <clears throat> For Life. If you've ever seen Luther, she's from the first season of Luther. She's Luther's wife. Uh, and if you've ever seen a number of other British TV shows, she's been a part of him. Dear Varma, a fantastic, accomplished actress on both sides of the pond. You know, you remember her as the leader of the Sand Snakes in Game of Thrones. She is cast now in the Kenobi series. And Michael Vogel, speculation galore. So many people thinking all the, I mean, they're tossing out so many characters that she could possibly be at this point. Pretty crazy stuff. I'm excited about it overall because I think she's a fantastic actress uh, for sure. But so many people are kicking around some of these roles. I saw Asajj Ventress, for God's sakes. And most of the people they mentioned are already dead. Satine, all these different characters. So uh, according to the timeline, they have died before we've gotten to the Kenobi timeline uh, that it, that the series is supposed to be based in. You tell me, A, are you excited about this casting? And B, what do you think she's, who do you think she's going to play? Well, Hey, yeah, I'm super excited. She's a great actress. So, yes. uh, you know, bringing in some great talent, uh, you know, aside from a couple very public exceptions, everyone's been pretty happy with Star Wars casting. So, uh, <laughs> we've seen the TV show. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I would say that my, my go-to choice for who she would be, uh, as, as, as many, as many feel would be Duchess Satine. But to your point mm. about the fact that, uh, Duchess Satine would not be alive at this point in the Star Wars timeline, this gets back to a lot of the conversation and speculation that happened when Hayden Christensen was cast as Anakin. Yeah. Um, we don't really know what the Obi-Wan Kenobi series is going to be about. Uh, obviously, we know this is when, timeline-wise, he would be on Tatooine watching over a very young Luke Skywalker. Mm. But we don't know how much of this series is going to be current events in the Star Wars universe and how much is Obi-Wan Kenobi looking back on his past and what yeah. got him where he is now. So will Hayden Christensen be playing a fresh out of the box Darth Vader, uh, you know, just like easing into his his new body? Right. Or are we gonna see flashbacks where we're gonna see live action Obi-Wan and Anakin sort of living through some of those adventures that we saw during the Clone Wars in the animated version? Mm. Um, and if we were to see those flashbacks, if we were to sort of explore a little bit of Obi's history there, uh, it would be amazing to actually sort of reference uh, his, his romance and his feelings for Duchess Satine of Mandalore. Right. Um, we know that Duchess Satine of Mandalore definitely exists because her sister Bo-Katan is running yeah. around in Mandalorian. So we know that like she exists within the timeline. We know that the story of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Duchess Satine from the animated series is now canon and does exist. But for most people who are more casual Star Wars fans, uh, they don't really know uh, much about it. So mm -hmm. looking back at that point of his life could be cool. All of that yeah. being said, it's probably not her. So it's, uh, as, as, as our main topic today is going to cover, we definitely do a lot of conjecture. We have a lot of guesses. And oftentimes, uh, it's something brand new that is not to be expected. So she could very just as easily, if not more likely, be a brand new character that we've never seen anywhere in Star Wars before. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe be a new uh, person in Obi-Wan Kenobi's life or someone who he has had it had a history with had a romance with that we didn't know about during his time on Tatooine um yeah. so that's my that's my thoughts
Okay. Uh, Shannon, some of the other characters that we're looking at, so people have suggested uh, giving a shout-out to the Mary Sue. Barris Offy, Arinda Price, the seventh sister is another one. She's a female Mary Ellen and Jedi Hunter, but she is also dead. So a number of these characters they're bringing up have died already before we get to, uh, to where Obi-Wan is right now. So do you like this idea of her being cast? And do you think she'll be a character in Flashback? Or do you think she'll be in a, br- a brand new character that they weave in? Because certainly, I know whatever your feelings are about Gina Carano, they created Cara Dune for that series for The Mandalorian, and the character was a hit. So do you think they'll go down that path to kind of introduce uh, Indira Varma as a character like that? Or do you think this might be Satine and we'll see her in flashback? Well, I'm definitely a fan of hers. I liked mm. her ever since she was in Rome. Rome! She, she right. played Niobe. She was Kevin right. McKidd's, uh, Lucius Farinas' wife. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime in any sort of announcement, and it doesn't matter if, if it's officially from Lucasfilm or whomever, anytime one site says she's been cast in a secret role, immediately <laughs> the speculation starts. Could it be this? Could it be this? Could it be this? Could it be this? Um, I, and I don't know what the actual press release said, but my guess is that if, if it if it said a secret role, I, I kind of don't think that the actual press release said that. That being mm-hmm. said, I love the idea of the Satine, uh, of, her, uh, of her taking on that character. But again, I'm wondering how mired down is the series going to get in these flashbacks right because because you you have you have a a performer of her stature i feel like i feel like you don't relegate her to an episode or two i mean this outside of ewan mcgregor this is i believe this is the first um first announcement that they have made like someone is joining the cast so my initial instinct is that she's probably going to be somebody new someone created for the show that being said i would love to see her take on the role of of hera i mean the, the characters that she Ooh, has played in, in, in the past okay. like she plays she plays very very strong oh, characters yeah. I and i could definitely i could definitely see her with uh with the the twi'lek uh hair, hair tentacles what, yeah. whatever they're called can i can i change my vote i want hair now too i, I, changed, <laughs> I changed my vote yeah, I do like that. Uh, that you know, she, since she played the companion to Pedro Pascal's character in Game of Thrones, that we're slowly working our way through <laughs> through these other uh, you know really really sort of well established franchises. Like that, yeah. if you want someone with an accent, get someone from Game of Thrones. Well, and I also think it's positive. Here's another woman of color, you know, coming into this yeah. situation, taking this role. This is so much fun to see. Finally, Star Wars kind of reflect back our society more and more over the last few years. They've done a really great job of doing that. And yeah, have they have they made the best decision on storylines? Well, a sequel trilogy aside, it seems like if you look at Mandalorian, they have. And so maybe this begins this pattern more and more of them approaching the uh, a more multicultural approach. And that makes me happy on so many levels. And you're casting really good actors and actresses who represent that. So I'm excited to see this uh, overall. And I love that everyone's going crazy about it, about who she might play. But Hera feels so good to say. Uh, And she would be alive during this timeline, I believe. So that could still work a thousand percent, Mike. Yeah, no, Hera is definitely alive at this point. I mean, absolutely alive during this point in uh, in 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 the Star Wars timeline. So uh, and I know she is definitely a fan favorite uh, for a lot of people. So seeing Hera in live action would be very, very cool. Thus, the reason that I changed my vote to agree <laughs> with my very well-dressed geek buddy friend, Shannon McCall. 
Yeah, you know, Deborah Chow directed two episodes of The Mandalorian. She'll be handling the directing uh, duties for Kenobi, and that's exciting to see her kind of take the reins of that as well. And uh, do you re- do we remember which uh, she re- directed? The Sin and The Reckoning. Those are the two episodes that she directed. So those are more dar- those are more of the darker episodes from the first season. For sure, we get uh, we get uh, 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 Giancarlo Esposito, Gideon showing up in the reckoning. So there's more of a yeah. darker tone. So this would seem to lend itself to a darker character, possibly with Indira Varma. We shall see a darker, like in terms of like uh, um, I don't know what a multi-purpose character could be playing both sides. You just don't know. Well, and you also the two episodes that Deborah Chow did. I mean, I think you know we had we had you know th- I think it was three directors in the first season of The Mandalorian that yeah. the, the direct they had a director who did two episodes. It was right. uh, 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 Dave Dave uh, his name has fallen out of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, Rick Famuyiwa and Dave, the guy who created Ahsoka. Why why yeah. why are you guys hey, Filoni? Filoni, Filoni, thank Filoni. you. Uh, well, we didn't know you knew him as Dave. We, you know, we call him Mr. Filoni. Right well, I, I, the Filoni, the Filoni <laughs> has left the building. Um, but that being said, I do think Deborah Chow is the only director who knocked both episodes out of the park. Now that's agreed. that's a, that's, a per, that's a personal that's a personal taste. I think it's um, agreed. Yeah. And I also think that both of her episodes were m- the 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 action heaviest. Mm-hmm. Of yeah. the series, That's so cool. Deborah Chow, you know, at the helm of the entire series, um, yeah, that it gives me it gives me a lot of faith in what we're going to cool. see with the Obi Wan series. Yeah, well, we'll see, we'll see, and certainly, you know, if you're going to cast an actress like this, you got to give her a role worth the damn. So we can't wait to see what she takes on and brings uh, to uh, to uh, to that role. And remember, we all love certain actors and actresses. Because we catch them on certain episodes, certain seasons or certain shows. They don't necessarily get the massive thing. Well, this is a massive show. This could take Indira Varma to the next level. Even though she's been consistently killing it at the level she's at, this could go next level and couldn't happen to a more accomplished and talented actress. That's for damn sure. Uh, all right. What do we got next? Uh, Mike, I think you got the next one. I do. Well, here's the thing about Geek Buddies. If yep. you want some amazing geek news to drop, the best way to do it is to have us record a Geek Buddies episode <laughs> because it always drops right after we record them. Uh, the Very true. No different. Um, so, you know, we, sometimes we don't always get to it, but we felt this was big enough that even though this dropped a week ago, it was so huge that we wanted to at least touch on it. And that is the fact that Nickelodeon is launching Avatar Studios, uh, Mm. a brand new division designed to create original content spanning animated series and movies based on the Avatar franchise. Uh, And this is huge news for anyone who is an Avatar fan. Uh, You know, there was Avatar The Last Airbender, which ran on Nickelodeon, followed by the follow-up series, uh, The Legend of Korra. Uh, It is a universe that is very beloved. Uh, It did good on Nickelodeon, but not good enough that it continued on indefinitely. But like many shows, like Young Justice and others, uh, it kind of found a new life and a new audience on streaming. And Mm. as soon as Netflix started airing both Avatar and Korra, uh, the fan base grew exponentially just in the past year. So it's been really exciting. And so Nickelodeon has decided to double down on the Avatar universe. Uh, The original creators uh, and EPs of both shows, Michael DiMartino and Brian Konetsko, will both run the studio as co-chief creative officers and report into Ramsey Naito, who is president of Nickelodeon Animation. 
so this is a brand new division that is not just doing a follow-up series to Avatar, but is going to follow in the footsteps of, as we were just talking about, what Lucasfilm and Disney are doing with Star Wars, what Marvel is doing with the MCU, what DC is sort of doing with their DC universe, which is they're expanding the entire universe into hmm. a bunch of different stories. And given the uh, unique nature of what Avatar is all about, every generation, there is one person that is the Avatar not only can they continue uh, in the story with the characters that we've seen so far, but they can go back and forward to new new eras, centuries, and we can always meet the Avatar. So yeah. for fans of the show, this is huge news. It's a big, big move for Nickelodeon. Uh, it's an interesting move since in the past they've sort of not always been um, as fully behind Avatar as the fans would like them to be. And this is definitely them getting behind it. And this yeah. is also interesting because uh, the biggest news about Avatar up to this point was that Netflix was doing a live action series based on Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, and mm. That's still moving forward. It's no longer moving forward with the uh, executive producers and creators of the series. They sort of left, moved on, wasn't quite the right fit, and they're now back at Nickelodeon. So we now have Avatar Studios over here, live action uh, Avatar at Netflix, and it's going to be mm. interesting to see how all this pans out. But the good news is it is a lot of content for fans of this Avatar universe. Um, yeah. What do you guys think about this? Shin? Yeah, you know, I mean, as we've said many times before, we are living in the age of IP. Yeah. And the age of IP has also become the age of streaming. And with Paramount Plus coming out, I imagine that that they want to lean on on those brands that they that they have in their stable. Obviously, Star Trek is one, but Nickelodeon, like they 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 really. I mean, we. I mean, I guess we don't know where where these new where where this new content is going to premiere. Whether it's going to be on the Nickelodeon channel or it's going to be on Paramount Plus. But just even if it starts on Nickelodeon and goes to Paramount, the fact that they're able to build that library, they want to put themselves in a position where they can try to compete with the Netflixes with the. Disney pluses. Yeah, that makes total sense. And in terms of the actual series, you know, I think I started watching Legend of Korra and I, and I believe Vogel was the one who, who got me on that. And so I, I got, you know, X amount of episodes in, I really liked the world, but there was a lot of Vogel having to side coach me and being like, this is what this means. This is what this means. This is what this means. So I went back when it started on, when it uh, went to Netflix and I'm like halfway through the second season. I really enjoy the show. I clearly don't enjoy it to the level that some of its its most ardent fan base does because mm -hmm. I just have a problem where I'll find something else and I'll get distracted but it's but it's a incredibly incredibly entertaining world and a very rich world so it'll be interesting to see how they're able to mine this to its fullest potential well, also, look at this situation makes sense to me on so many levels because DiMartino and Konietzko, remember, they left this Netflix adaptation that was that was that is in motion still uh, over creative differences. Right. So what's a way to leave? Well, I'm not going to do it the way you guys want me to do it. And it's, this is nothing against Netflix. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. You know, we, we've all had that situation. It's not the right situation. So what do they do? They go over here and they work out another deal where they are in charge of this entire universe and unleashing great content connected to this universe. So this, I think, is the smarter move. This immediately eclipses whatever Netflix is going to release connected to Avatar The Last Airbender because people will look at this as more pure, more authentic, more connected to the people who 
actually created it and got people interested in this universe. So to me, this is a brilliant move by Nickelodeon, even more brilliant by the creators of Avatar The Last Airbender. And this is a rare thing. Michael, you're an executive. You've been in those rooms. You've had these conversations. The idea that the two creators have gone off and started their own, in essence, arm of a production studio underneath Nickelodeon, kind of doing the reverse of what Marvel did, where Disney bought Marvel after Marvel had released Iron Man already, uh, and Hulk, Disney bought them and brought them in. This is something being created out of Nickelodeon, but almost feeling like they're going to be their own studios creating their own stuff. Immediately, the other side of things, on the Netflix side of things, you start to think, well, are people even going to watch what we're doing here? Don't you think? Uh, I do. Look, I think that... um... I think that as far as the Netflix series goes, I think you're right. There is probably right now a feeling of it's less authentic or less actual. I think that if the Netflix series is amazing and we can see a live action flying bison and really <laughs> awesome live action water bending and fire bending, like I think people will get over that really quick. If it is good, the fans will watch it. And the good That's news fair. is there's enough out there for all of us to enjoy. I yeah. do think that uh, the amount of content that Avatar Studios hopefully is going to uh, produce is going to not eclipse the Netflix series, but take Avatar in brand new directions. Uh, to Shannon's yeah. point, uh, it's going to produce content for Paramount Plus and Nickelodeon, as well as third-party platforms mm -hmm. and theatrical releases. Uh, the first project that they announced is an animated theatrical film that's set to start production later this year. So mm -hmm. whether that is going to be uh, a, a, an extension of Aang and Katara and Soka and Toph's story or Korra's story or, you know, a brand new avatar uh, based on the Kyoshi novels that are out right now. Like there's a lot of options for what that could be. Um, yeah. And then Brian Robbins, who is head of uh, pre president of Viacom CBS Kids and Family said, Avatar The Last Airbender and Korra have grown at least tenfold in popularity since their original runs on Nickelodeon. And Ramsey and I are incredibly excited to have Mike and Brian's genius talent on board to helm a studio devoted to expanding their characters and world into new content and formats for fans everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the exciting, like the big exciting news for everybody is that Avatar as a universe is legitimately as big and expansive with beloved characters and awesome stories as Star Wars or Marvel or DC, mm. which is pretty impressive given the fact that uh, it's it's newer than those brands uh, and has yeah. thus far only existed in animation and novels and comics. But uh, but it, well, it, 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 it did have one feature we technically. Don't talk about that. <laughs> we don't talk about that movie. Um, we, we What's a twist? It didn't happen. <laughs> But no, I mean, I think that it's gonna be really exciting because as, as Shannon mentioned before, that we live in this era of IP. And what that means for fans is that all the studios are doubling down on this IP and getting as much of that content out there as yeah. possible, which is why we have multiple Star Trek shows, Star Wars movies, Star Wars TV shows, Marvel movies, Marvel TV shows, right. DC stuff. Like it's great for all of us. And by bringing the original creators on, it doesn't feel like it's just a simple cash grab. It is a cash grab. They want to make money, but it's a cash grab with the right creative people attached to it. So it's yeah, really, maybe, really exciting. Yeah, maybe this was the right mood for them. Like, you know, Nickelodeon, just from the statement they issued, sounds like they like they said they're creating runways for them to create, what the, for those two gentlemen to create what they want to create in this universe. Whereas Netflix probably was a, maybe, possibly, 
a little more restrictive, wanted to be a little more hands-on. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you're putting the money up, you got a right to be that way. And maybe those two felt like that wasn't the right avenue for what they wanted to create. They had more ideas, more of an expansive universe. And Netflix was, Netflix was maybe less willing to open the door and open the coffers a little bit to give them that much leeway and that much of a runway. So, you know, it just worked out this way. And I think this is a positive overall. And you might be right, Mike, maybe that live action comes out and it kills it and people love it and it's great. And people are focused on on the next thing to come from these two guys uh, animated wise down the road. And that takes some time. You know, animated films, Michael, when people are watching, they all know it takes forever. So it takes like four years to do an animated film. So, uh, but one last question, Michael Vogel, will you be looking for a job here at uh, at this uh, studios? Because Michael, you love this universe and this seems like this could be something you could do really well. You'd still have to do the show. You're not getting out of the show, but like, would you possibly be open to this? I have already been making some calls. <laughs> i knew it i knew it that, breaking I, news that, that news that news came out that news broke uh literally after we recorded last week and i was like yeah wow this is really exciting i can't wait to see more avatar stuff wait a minute hey who do you know who do you know who do you know who do you know uh so all so, right uh, finger, fingers crossed on that front absolutely exclusives uh all right we got our last uh, geek news item uh shannon mcclung please take it away Trailers, trailers, trailers. Ew. So as Mike said, sometimes news gets dropped and we, we miss it by an hour. Um, <laughs> one of the trailers that we're going to chat about today, um, you know, we, we, we saw it and it never, it just didn't come up in, 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 our, in our conversations. And you guys quickly let us know in the comments that we should talk about it. And that is the, I guess, reboot of Mortal Kombat. Mm. So it released its first trailer. It was probably two weeks ago now. Um, and it is part of the Warner Brothers HBO Max. It's being released simultaneously in the theaters where theaters are open. And it's going to be available on HBO Max for like the first 30 days when it comes out in April. Right. This trailer, okay, so Mortal Kombat, as we all know, this was a video game that debuted in the 90s, I think. And it <laughs> it sort of led the charge for all the parents to get upset about there's too much violence in video games because you had the fatality moves where they're literally ripping people's spines out of their body and waving them around like a trophy. So, <laughs> And we had the first movie as well that came out, I believe, in 95 or 96. So Mortal Kombat is one of those properties that has been been around. I mean, the video games have continued to go. They, they sort of crossed universes with DC, with, with the Injustice games. Um, but, but it just has never found like the right team to bring it to, 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 uh, to as a feature film. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, this first trailer, as one who I'm familiar with the characters, but I'm not ensconced in the universe, the trailer was awesome i yeah. mean it was so uh, you know whenever whenever you have an action movie that starts with a red band trailer it's like all right there's either gonna be a lot of swearing or a lot of blood and it was definitely the latter uh in this case uh thought the trailer was awesome some really cool kills and it really looks like they have expanded the universe now again i don't know all of the video games that well I i'm assuming there are comics and novels that go that go along with it so maybe that that's what they're using this as sort of their source material but the world looks very very big and thus far the trailer looked awesome gentlemen fire away um go ahead michael go ahead no listen i was gonna say it's gonna be hard to beat that that uh 90s mortal kombat <laughs> <laughs> finish it i listen i remember seeing me on that original mortal kombat movie in the theaters and really 
that whole like dance remix Mortal Kombat song that opened the movie was so good that anything else that happened after that was just yeah. icing on the cake to me. I was like, I'm set. But no, that that I, it will not be difficult to beat that one. I thought this looked great. Mortal Kombat is funny because I think like all of the fighting games, particularly in video games, more so than like the Zeldas or the Marios or the Tomb Raiders, uh, like it, it it's hard to make the translation because they're basically there to like have cool, crazy people that beat each other up. And so even though the fighting games have a story mode and there is a story that, that moves it forward, uh, that is not always a story that easily translates to a more uh, traditional narrative. Uh, so I, I will say that watching this trailer kind of made me go, okay, it looks like they're, tr they're being true to what Mortal Kombat is. It's a, it's a fine line. You got to be true to what it is. And at the same time, get something in there that actually helps build it into a story. And so watching this trailer did make me go, all right, like I'm game, like I'm mm -hmm. on board and it does look amazing. And to your point, if you're going to do a Mortal Kombat movie, it better be a Red Band trailer. Like that is part mm. of the DNA of the brand. So will it be good? Mm, we'll see. <laughs> but uh, but the trailer definitely definitely got me excited. Uh, I was I always like Sub Zero. I could never play them all really well. Like I can't I can't I can't do all the moves that I would like to do. But I could do yeah. the most with Sub Zero. So he got a lot of play in this trailer, and I was happy about that. Sub Zero. Uh, Mikey, can you turn your volume up just a little bit? I think it got a little bit lower there as we went along here doing, doing the Mortal Kombat. But um, here's what I'll tell you. I was on set. You know, I got sent by my former outlet to Australia to be on set to see uh, and actually walk amongst the ruins where they're going to be fighting. That was so awesome. It was so extensive what they did. Uh, it was just stellar, stellar stuff. And I really enjoyed my time there. Got to speak to a couple of the producers. And their approach, what they spoke about over and over and over again, is they, they revere that movie, but they also understand what they want to create here is something that is kind of like a tent pole, just summer action flick, awesome film. Uh, that you've seen from other uh, universes, other franchises, kind of launch a whole new universe. They, there's, there was a more serious approach. There's a more focused approach. They played us some of the score uh, that's going to be coming, and the score was awesome. And then they showed some of the, some of the, they showed us some of the tactics and some of the moves that you're going to see, and it was incredible. And seeing this trailer, what I saw on the set come to life in this very well done way. This looks fantastic it looks believable even homie with the four arms you're like i buy this in the world you've just shown me in the film stock you're using in the cinematography in the lighting you've set up this all feels realistic the fact that it's a you know the, the birthmark no you're part of this uh generation of warriors and this is what this is all about and i don't think i'm giving too much away when they they said that this is a tournament that has been happening for a number of generations and years on multiple planets by the way so this is there's so much that they can open up the door to and then seeing all these great characters from uh the uh from the uh, mortal combat universe my boys raiden that's my boy young tab sub-zero raids my boy seeing that electricity in the eyes all of it was so set and the fighting doesn't look cheesy. It doesn't look cheesy. And that was the number one thing I was worried about with this trailer. Because you can have all the talk you want. Then it comes out and it looks like, oh boy, this should have dropped in January. It does not look that way at all. And I'm so happy about that, for sure. Uh, Sub-Zero had a dagger made of blood. Of blood. Of frozen blood. Yeah, exactly. I just can't get past thinking about Roko wandering around on set. Now I want the movie to be like, rated. 
Sub-Zero. <laughs> Sub-Zero. John Roca. I just want John Roca. <laughs> the outlaw. John Roca. Fight. <laughs> By the way, Mikey, McCod Brooks has been hitting the weights. Holy Mary, mother of God. <laughs> you look massive, dude. Massive. Uh, all right, what's I, our next trailer? Show? I, I just feel like the shot of John is him at Crafty snapping into a celery stick. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> you want me to fight? <laughs> Sub-Zero? Oh, no. Oh, no, I, uh, I pulled my hamstring. Pulled yeah. my hamstring. Let I me keep... With- I fight with my words. <laughs> Let me keep my blood, please. <laughs> <laughs> so our next trailer is the newest offering from Disney and Pixar, and it is oh. called Luca. Yeah. Something that Vogel, as you can tell, is very excited about. We get a quick, uh, the animation style, really, really neat here. Almost looks like claymation. Almost looks like, uh, like almost kind of stop motiony. But it is essentially about the friendship between this kid on the Italian Riviera and these two other kids who, when they jump into the water, turn into mer people. Mm. As always, anything with Pixar, the, the bar is set very high. They don't give you too much, um, but it, it looks beautiful. And it's interesting because as much as a, a fan I was of Soul, this one seems a little more dialed into the kids because you do have kids as the leads. So thus far, I think it looks, without knowing that much about it, looks gorgeous. It'll probably be great. Gentlemen, have at it. Hmm. Uh, I think it looks fantastic. I'll do it real quick, uh, default to the animation expert on, on our panel here. All I'll say is this. It looks fun. It looks great. I saw a lot of people were upset that they showed the twist ahead of time, but I wasn't bothered by that. I, the animation is vibrant. The conversations are great. The culture it's bringing you into looks like something I definitely want to spend a lot of time with in the theater. So I'm excited about it. A thousand percent on board. Can't wait to see it. Let's have it already. Mike? Uh, yeah, I saw I saw some of the complaints about it, be, though. We revealed the twist. I'm like, look, if Pixar revealed this in the teaser, this is not the twist. You're going to know this from the point. beginning of the movie. Like, This isn't going to be like the big surprise halfway through. Uh, so I think that, uh, it's really interesting to Shannon's point. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. I think it's great that they can follow up a movie like soul, which looks so real that you could like reach out and touch the city with something like Luca that has this really kind of gorgeous, beautiful, more stylized kind of feel to it. Uh, and to Shannon's point that they can have a movie that is very adult and deals with very adult issues like soul and then follow it up with something that seems more of like a kid friendly romp. Mm. Pixar being Pixar, even a kid-friendly romp is probably going to punch you in the gut at some point with some emotional wallop that you weren't prepared for. <laughs> um, but yeah, it looks really lovely. We were, I was joking with some friends, and I think I said on Twitter, it, it definitely looks like The Shape of Water meets Call Me By Your Name. Like, it's giving me a lot of, like... Hello. And, and to that point, it's very funny. I don't, I don't think that's what it is, but it looks <laughs> so much like... It looks so much like Call Me By Your Name that there were a lot of people on Twitter that were going to be like, I want those two boys to be queer. I want this to be about gamer people. And I'm like, ah, maybe they are gay. Who knows? But, uh, but yeah, it looks really neat. And I love the idea that, you know, this idea of like these fish people, mer people, whatever they are, wanting to explore this village and this village clearly hating sea monsters. I mean, it's like, it's, it's that, you know, it's Pixar like takes a very, you know, it's summertime and friendship and like, what are you going to do? And then adds the twist of like, well, and it's sea monsters. And well, we're yeah, going to see how yeah. this goes. And, you know, I think that, it, like like all the best Pixar teasers, going back all the way to you know to Toy Story to Bugs Life to whatever, it's the, all they give you in that teaser is here's what the world is. You know, right. it, it's a world of talking cars. It's a world where monsters go to work like you and me. And so now we know it's a world where 
sea, sea monsters want to explore a cute small village and meet new people as much as we do. And that's pretty much all we've got so far. Um, but as much as other movies, like I was just saying about Mortal Kombat, like Mortal Kombat looks awesome. The, um, it looks amazing. Yeah. The fights look great. I go in kind of like on my story senses or like it, a, maybe you'll be good. We'll see. <laughs> Uh, and Pixar does have that bar set a lot higher that when yeah. you go to see a Pixar movie at that point, you're assuming the story is going to be amazing. Uh, yeah. And if it's not, it's always like, you're like, oh, that was good. That was like, that was like an A minus, but it was Pixar. So I was a little bit disappointed. So yeah. they definitely have, uh, they, have, they have a high bar, but so far it looks like they're hitting it and I cannot wait to see more. Yeah, and the analogy may be there, Mike. You know, you mentioned the idea of the possibility of gamer people. This could be that situation. You know, the idea of hiding who you really are, the afraid that the villagers will hate you if you show who you really are. I mean, you can make those connections, and maybe this is a subtle kind of commentary yeah. on that, which I think would be brilliant, absolutely brilliant. You know, even and we, and even, even the trans conversation works here, right? Because you're yeah. changing. You know, you're changing sexes or species. It you can have that kind. Of, not that you know. Obviously, you know. I think people understand what I mean. It's that kind of thing. So I, I'm I'm down with that. Listen, Save we me. haven't had we haven't had good gay mer people. <laughs> and by the way, that was you're like it's like it's like trans or changing species. Wait, that's not what I meant. I am transition is what I'm saying. Transition is what I'm saying. We're gonna put in a graphic of uh, water filling up Roka's window. <laughs> You know what? I will take that fight with Sub-Zero now. <laughs> <laughs> and our last trailer, one that I know John is very excited about, is oh. uh, Zack Snyder's first Netflix film, Army of the Dead. So this one's got Dave oh. Bautista. It's got Garrett Dillahunt. It's actually got someone from Mortal, uh, Mortal Kombat, uh, uh, Hiroyuki Sonata, who yeah. plays uh, Scorpion in Mortal Kombat. Yeah. I mean, when you look at things that certain directors are just tailor-made for it's like okay this is about a heist in vegas that has been taken over by zombies <laughs> now there were definitely moments in this trailer because it's all very Zack snyder badass in your face but there are some very potentially funny moments that you have a zombified female elvis impersonator i'm pretty sure i saw a liberace impersonator in there as well <laughs> showgirls running from zombies and on top of this you have basically an uh, a, a huge heist movie i mean looking at certain certain visuals which we know Zack snyder does better than almost anybody i mean i was getting sort of a much more fun world war z vibe out of this um uh, but i'm i'm very curious to hear the uh, two sides of the snyder coin to my right here <laughs> gentlemen go for it uh mikey please uh before i jump in all crazy about it yeah well here's what it made me think of watching it uh as much as i critique Zack Snyder uh one of the things that I think he was great at was Dawn of the Dead the remake mm -hmm. like Dawn of the Dead remake is one of my is one of my uh, uh one of the better liked zombie remakes that I have seen I think he did an amazing job with it there's a reason that that's the movie that really put him on the map and I thought it was awesome and actually watching this trailer uh this is to me like I'm like this seems pretty uh pretty anti-Snyder proof, if that makes sense. Like, I can't go into this movie going, well, I really hope that he gets the subtleties of those Vegas zombies and that he really, like, this is, this is a, a heist movie and it's a zombie movie. Those two genres are supposed to be in your space, super fun, shot amazingly well. Those are all things that, like, I, I, I was enjoying this. Like, I was like, okay, we'll see what this is going to be. And I was like, ah, I'm going to watch this. I'll watch this one. <laughs> 
Maybe you guys are going to turn me. Maybe maybe between this and the four-hour epic, you're going to make me watch it too many times, Justice League. Maybe I'll either join the cult or gain a respect. Hey, oh. we'll see. Four hours, son. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, this is just so up my alley. This is uh, definitely something that I'm so looking forward to. You're right. Dawn of the Dead did such a great uh, a job for Zack Snyder's career. May have been the thing that kind of opened the door to him doing so many of these other franchise movies. Comes back to this, you know. He, he had that whole situation with Justice League, deal, dealt with all of that, you know, the tragic uh, uh, passing of his daughter, Going back to something, a world that he really kind of, that really kind of announced him to uh, on the stage was a smart move for him. Going back into this and this trailer, a minute and a half is pure Zack Snyder. Awesome action, uh, funny little moments in between the action, uh, and great, great visuals. Certainly, you get all of that in this trailer. It's only a minute and a half trailer. It's more than enough. And Dave Batista running across casino tables as he's shooting zombies. That's brilliant. The Elvis zombies, genius, all of it. And this is such an unusual cast. You mentioned Hiroyuki Sonata, who I love from uh, The Last Samurai. And then you got Anna de la Reguera, who is in uh, Nacho Libre. You've got Batista, as I mentioned, Garrett Dillahunt, who we love uh, so much in many, many things. But also Tig Notaro, of all people, is in this damn thing. So I am so excited. That, that tells you right there that he is going in this, showing you that he's going to have a lot of fun, but there's also going to be a lot of violence and a lot of craziness going on. So it's a great balance. I can't wait to see this. We have to wait so damn long to see this, like two more months. Uh, but I am super excited and on board with this for sure. It it also makes me like, I mean, the zombie the zombie movie as a genre has really gone uh, in a lot of directions. But like mm. it used to be like any other, like it's a zombie movie. Like we're all going to be scared shitless and what do we do? But just as we as audiences have grown kind of used to zombies to the point where we're like, yeah, we know how to handle a zombie. Like if a zombie apocalypse happened tomorrow... <laughs> We've literally been watching training videos our entire lives at this point. So to add a layer of it's a heist movie, uh, like like the idea that right. even even in a zombie apocalypse, we uh, as a society are at the point where we'd be like, yeah, okay, cool, but like we still got shit to do. Yeah, like yeah. I think I think especially probably like living in the life that we've all led for the past literally year now of our lives, we're sort of like, yeah, we get the quarantining part, we get what we're supposed to do with zombies, but like I still got to get the money from the safe. So it's kind <laughs> of like from a, just from a concept standpoint, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Uh, right. Oh, sorry, Shannon, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat will be released in April. Uh, Army mm. of the Dead, uh, May on Netflix, and Luca in June. Hopefully in theaters. Oh, yeah. We'll we shall see. see. There's certainly been enough vaccines purchased. Doesn't mean everyone's going to get vaccinated. And I'll give you a great example. I went today to get to my eyes checked. My doctor vaccinated. I asked the assistant who's helping her, who's, you know, looking at the frames. Did you get vaccinated? I'm not getting vaccinated. It's a weird little world out there. It's a weird little world. So hopefully we will be able to go to theaters soon uh, and uh, we won't have a zombie apocalypse. All right, let's take a break real quick. We'll jump into our main topic, which is uh, WandaVision and some uh, comments from the uh, director of all the episodes of WandaVision talking about the season finale coming up later on uh, in a, about less than a little over 24 hours. All right, we'll be right back. After uh, this, there we go. All right, Jesus. I don't even it's know what that one was. It's going to make sense. It was, it was Seinfeld. Okay. All right. Oh, Seinfeld. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, all right. Uh, Michael Vogel. Sorry, Michael Vogel. Take us into our main topic for today, my man. Yeah. Uh, well, as Johnny had mentioned before our, our weirdly scored break, uh, Matt Jackman did an interview. Uh, Matt Jackman did an interview with EW, kind of just like as, as we're getting close to the finale of WandaVision, kind of talking about the process. It's a lovely interview. He talks a lot about just their love, their love of the sitcom, how he grew up in the 80s, uh, how many people on creatively on the show grew up in the 80s. So they really kind of grew up in that era of the sitcom. I did not know that he was actually in the show Just the Ten of Us, which is a spinoff of Growing Pains. And so he kind of comes from that sitcom background. A uh, lot of cool little tidbits in there about dealing with Wanda's grief and what they did. Uh, the part that really sort of sparked a lot of people's uh, concern, a lot of commentary, is uh, when they asked him, uh, as we're going into this final episode, what do you hope people take away from the finale? And he said, I hope that they feel that the journey was satisfying for them. I know there are many theories out there. There will be a lot of people who will no doubt be disappointed by one theory or another, but we're always telling a story about Wanda dealing with grief and learning how to accept that loss. And hopefully people will find that the finale is surprising, but also satisfying, and that it feels inevitable because it's the same story they've been watching the whole time. Uh, so of course, as soon as anybody says, there's a lot of theories out there and you're probably gonna be disappointed, the internet collectively gasps and says, holy shit, what does this mean? And right. we got to talking about it for our main topic this week. And as we have been doing these WandaVision reviews and have been putting our tinfoil hats on as much as anybody uh, and being proven wrong again and again and again each week, occasionally getting something right, uh, we thought this was a fun thing to do because we are the geek buddies. Like we deal all the time in theories. We were theorizing about who's going to be in the Obi-Wan series. Uh, we're yeah. one, you know, we wonder about all of these things all the time. And as we were saying, oftentimes, we're wrong. Oftentimes we don't get it. And so as fans, as a fandom, uh, what does that mean? Like what, what happens if there is no Mephisto in WandaVision? What happens if the Pietro thing doesn't mean anything? What does these things mean? Uh, and how do we as fandoms deal with that disappointment and still be okay with like, what is the story that the creators were setting out to tell? Yeah, you know, it, it was interesting. And the reason I, I hummed the Seinfeld theme is I always think about the Seinfeld finale as something that there was so much secrecy behind mm. and there was so much anticipation and that when it came out, the collective response to it was sort of meh that you had, you know, arguably one of the best, one of the best sitcoms of all time go out on such a, you know, just su su such a, such a flat, you know, uh, an air being let out of a balloon um, and going back and, and watching it again, you know, it's impossible to make everybody happy with this stuff. Like all the creators can do is tell the story that they're going to tell. And you have to have faith in the people in the creators, also in people like Kevin Feige that, you know, when they started making this, we had no idea what it was going to be. I mean, right. and I'm sure certain things they were able to telegraph a little bit and be like, Hey, this is going to, this is going to get people talking. And I think there's other things that like, Oh my God, we had no idea that Monica's random line about an aerospace engineer was mm. going to generate so much chatter. And, and, and again, and we still don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know if it's going to be someone as of right now, it sure doesn't seem like it. It sure doesn't seem like Mephisto is going to show up outside of a Thanos level reveal 
at the end and, and like like vis-a-vis the first Avengers, like in some sort of post-credit sequence, maybe that's not going to happen. But I think what people need to remember is enjoy enjoy the ride that you're on. Like, yes, we love to speculate. Speculating is fun. Um, but don't get so married. Don't fall in love with your own idea so much that you sort of discount the story that made you fall in love in the first place. Mm. Well, I think this works on so many levels, right? Because, of course, you want to under-promise and over-deliver. So it's kind of sneakily brilliant that he's saying the things that he's saying here because we've also seen, as Shannon just pointed out, there have been a number of shows that have not been able to stick that landing that we have fallen in love with. Game of Thrones, uh, Sopranos for a lot of people, Lost for a lot of people, uh, and what you just mentioned, Seinfeld, and numerous other shows. Um, uh, How I Met Your Mother. So uh, People went crazy over that uh, finale, hating that finale. So it's very difficult. And we know, or we assume, there's not going to be a season two. So this feels like the end of the road for this particular story. But what I think people have to understand is this has always been Wanda's story about love and grief and processing that loss and what that has inspired in her both good and bad in terms of her actions, how she has grown through the process of confronting this grief. That to me is where I think they have to hit the nail on the head for me. Get that emotional story right. I don't care if Mephisto shows up. I don't care if these other if they get the engineer. I really don't. It's do you did you did you get that emotional story right? Did you end it in a really great place? That's what I care about. One way or another, whether Vision lives or dies, uh, if Wanda's changed into a villain and she has to keep processing grief longer uh, into the other movies, all of that is fine. I just want you to hit the emotional beats and get them right and honor what you've built over these last uh, episodes uh, as you've as you've ratcheted up uh, uh, the background behind this grief and gotten us to understand and connect to Wanda. And we can have our judgments about what she's doing. But overall, we sense this is a woman in immense amount of pain who has uh, gone this far out with her powers in order to protect herself and insulate her herself. And I think also if they don't get it right in that part of the story, that will be a letdown for a lot of people because how many people uh, have been dying for new entertainment, have been suffering through COVID, losing possible family members, losing jobs, struggling to pay their bills, and they found a way to watch this show and it becomes so, um, I don't know, entrenched in this story. And so they want to have at least one thing that they uh, can enjoy during this uh, insane time over the last year that we've all been dealing with COVID. And so I think it takes that kind of weight as well. So I have absolute faith that they're going to nail it when it comes to the emotional story. And by the end, I'm going to feel very, very satisfied by what they did. Maybe some people will complain about all this other stuff. But remember, this is supposed to launch us. It wasn't originally supposed to, but it is now launching us into phase four. So it's going to leave us some questions. It's going to leave us some storylines that aren't that aren't finished yet that will connect in through the movies and uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier and maybe Loki and more down the road. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing, you know? Mikey? Yeah, I think, and look, well, I think it's like, and just to be clear uh, to Shannon's, to Shannon's point about falling in love with your own ideas, you can absolutely critique WandaVision. You can critique Mandalorian. We all sure. as fans should critique the things that we see. We should point out the things that we like and don't like. We're not saying 
that you should just go love everything because that's what they wanted you to love and you should just love right. it. But there is a difference between critiquing something on its own merits and critiquing something because it didn't do what we wanted or hoped that it was going to do. And Johnny, so to your point, I think that they've been really clear. And when you read this EW article with Shackman, he does say like this, like this is Wanda's story. I mean, I think yeah. a lot of people felt, uh, you know, Wanda's grief was kind of glossed over or used to move the plot forward in a lot of these movies. The fact that her and Pietro's parents died, the fact that Pietro got killed in Age of Ultron, like she was sad about it for a minute, but by the time we mm. get to the movie, the end of Age of Ultron, it's like, hey, you're an Avenger now. And when we catch up with her in Civil War, she's had some time to heal. So yeah. I think looking at this character who has gone through so much loss throughout the Marvel movies and really honing in on that, that's the story they wanted to tell. So there's definitely going to be, after we see this finale this week, uh, a lot of going back and being like, well, what did this mean? Or where did this go? Or what was this plot thread? And they hopefully they'll be able to, to, to wrap it all up. Maybe there's going to be a few threads that are going to be left hanging. But, you know, it's like it's all about judging them on the story that they wanted to tell. And to John's point, that was the story of Wanda's grief. I am fascinated to see how this thing ends. Uh, I do think it was funny. And as Shackman talks about in the article, a lot of people that I've been talking to have been saying how they want they can't wait to go back and watch WandaVision and binge it oh, like, yeah. from beginning to end. That mm -hmm. that once we have all the answers, we can go back and kind of watch every single moment with all that knowledge. But the part that's really crazy is remember the creators of the show, everyone who worked on the show, they have that knowledge. The the moment the first episode aired and all of us put on our tinfoil hats and started going completely <laughs> batshit insane, they already knew. So as much as we've been experiencing these memes week to week. From day one, they've been looking at stuff, and you just know that there was a couple things that we as fans were flipping the fuck out about that they were like, they were like, oh shit, what? that doesn't mean anything. They think there's a devil. They think there's a devil in the wallpaper, and they think Dottie's important. Fuck, they're gonna get so upset. They're gonna be so pissed off at this. And I or or, I or the other so writer. Funny. <laughs> oh, no, or the other writer, Mike, who's like, I told you not to put the aerospace engineer in there. Didn't I? I told you they did. <laughs> so yeah, I do think I do think it's going to be really fun. Uh, I think the interviews with the cast and the crew and the creative team and everybody coming out of WandaVision uh, is going to be really fun. I know that Disney Plus is uh, dropping like next Friday. They're dropping yeah. like a behind the scenes on WandaVision special. And I just think like hearing from all of them once sort of the secrecy is off, once Ag once uh, Catherine Hahn can talk about the Agatha moments, uh, one of the things that Shackman said in the article that I didn't think about but was really interesting is that, you know, those, those Agatha scenes in that it was Agatha all along, they had to shoot those as they were filming it consecutively. You didn't get to go back because they only had the, like the 70s set for the days that they had the 70s set or they only had right. this set. So like they would be shooting the episode and then they'd be like, oh shit, bring Catherine Hahn in. We got to get that Agatha moment for the song. And some of those moments that came up uh, kind of were really spontaneous. Like that, the moment where she's sort of controlling Pietro, hmm. all they were going to do is we need to show her controlling Pietro. And it was when they were on set that they were like, oh, wait a minute. Let's grab a picnic, give her some wine and some grapes. That'll be come. And so like you got these great moments out of it. So I think hearing from them about how they put this whole thing together is going to be fun, but also them finally being able to talk about yeah. the response from the fans and being like, Oh God, when you guys started thinking that X was going to happen, we were all like, Oh, they're going to be so upset. We hope that they're happy. When <laughs> over. You know, what's really funny is thinking about it from, from the, uh, the actor's point of view. And I'm not just talking about, uh, uh, 
Elizabeth Olsen and, and Paul Bettany or Tiana Paris or uh, Catherine Hahn, I'm thinking about the people, our recurring people, our mm. herbs, our fills, those people. Like when they were having to do these special shots, more than likely they did not know what was happening. Right. Because with a project like this, in terms of the cast, there's only going to be four or five people that know everything that's going on. And even within that, Tayona Paris may not know everything that's going on with Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen. Paul Bettany may not know everything that's going on with Agatha. I mean, so to think of these people like, oh, we got to do our Agatha all along moment, like and specifically the, the magic show, you know, the, the camera goes past the guy who plays Phil. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's just like, you're like, why are they doing this? Like, I wonder what's happening behind me. Like how fun that must be for the recurring characters then to watch this and be like, oh, that's what that was for? Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. There's a great percent. total sidebar on this, but you made me think of this. Like one of my favorite examples of that is uh, Alan Rickman in the Harry Potter films mm. is that uh, be, for him to be able to play Snape the way he did, J.K. Rowling took him aside very early on and told him Snape's whole story, which we, which, which fit, no one knew because book seven hadn't even come out yet. So there was several times uh, throughout the filming of Harry Potter where the director, or David Yates or somebody would come in and be like, I want you to do this. And Alan Rickman would be like, no, I can't do right. that. Right. And he'd be like, why? And he'd be like, I can't tell you why, but I can tell you that <laughs> Snape would not do that. But nobody else is allowed to know because this is the biggest secret. Like it was like, so, but you're absolutely right that, uh, that that oftentimes happens. I mean, that's one of the bigger examples, but yeah, like a lot of people, like, like that's what I think. I think there's fun for everybody. I think that the creative team is sort yeah. of waiting for this to be done so they can finally talk about it as much as we are waiting for it to be done so that we can all break down what it means and go back and rewatch the whole fucking thing again. So yeah. it's going to be exciting. I will say that like, Marvel coming to television and kind of having that weekly Marvel experience definitely uh, was much needed during this pandemic. Yeah. It's oh, given yeah. us something to like really look forward to each week. And it's been fun to see like this level of interconnected storytelling play out. I mean, this is a first, you know, as we say this a thousand times, but to Johnny was saying about this story ending, yes and no. This specific story of Wanda dealing with yeah. her grief in Westview with vision, with this set television format is ending. But we also know that if not everything is wrapped up in a perfect bow uh, this time Friday, that that's okay because she's going into Doctor Strange 2 and her kids may end up wherever they're going to end up and who knows where Vision's going to be. So right. because the Marvel Universe is continuing on into a phase four and hopefully a phase five, six, seven, and 97, uh, we'll have plenty of time to catch up with them later. Yeah. All right. Uh, two questions. Uh, answer them quick. Um, do we think there's a Phantom 10th episode? Yes or no? I think there's a making of. Okay. So you say no? No. Uh, what I, I say no as well. What is one thing that you think will happen in this finale? What is one prediction you have on I'm putting you guys on the spot. We didn't talk about this at a time. What is one prediction you have for this finale? I think the two visions are going to interact, and that's what Paul Bettany talked about when there was a <laughs> character that had not been revealed yet. <laughs> All right. Mike? Uh I can I can I well I'll say that, but then I want to add one more thing because there's like another okay, thing. Sure. I, I mean I think we're gonna have like the biggest action we've seen so far for sure. Uh, and based on a couple photos that have released, I think we're gonna get like the WandaVision version of the Incredibles. Like we're gonna see we're gonna see this family fighting together, and I think like I get goosebumps just thinking about that. Mm -hmm. uh, the the other piece of it though is 
I really hope we get some kind of some kind of answer on why Evan Peters was brought in as Pietro. Like, I, I hope that we get that sort of figured out. Okay. Um, and I hope we get, I don't think it's going to be the fantastic answer that some people hope, but I do hope we get some kind of answer on the aerospace engineer. Yeah. I think, good. I think if those two things got answered, yeah. What, if those two things and why the fuck everybody was chanting for the children in episode two in a super weird way, if those three things get answered, I'll be completely, completely satisfied. Well, people have been speculating about this, so maybe I'm cheating a little bit, but I think Dr. Strange shows up in one critical moment when all magic is flying all over the place inside Westview. I think Dr. Strange shows up to kind of handle whatever he needs to handle uh, in this situation. We've said they're going to connect up. They haven't made any really strong allusions to Dr. Strange yet, but it seems like that is on uh, on the tip of hap or on the, on the precipice of happening in my opinion. So I think that's what we might be seeing here uh, in this finale uh, as well. Yeah. There is a, there's a Disney plus promo that is floating around right now that uh, I think uh, supports what you are saying. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and also Herb. I think Herb's going to have a really great line in the show. I think one line in the finale. Can, can, can I, can I throw out my ridiculous prediction okay, that, I, sure. that I, that I texted to you guys? Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> that Sparky is Fiatro. <laughs> Agatha said, talked about transmutation. She turned a cicada into a bird. Who's to say she didn't turn a dog into, into a version of Wanda's brother? Uh, well, that's a possibility for sure. <laughs> oh, and one last thing Hayward will be proven right. Hayward will rule the day. He will rule the I day. I was I was scrolling through our YouTube comments on our <laughs> review, and I texted Shannon and said, "Wow, is going to die on a hill on this sandy beach." Before we <laughs> Damn right. Damn right. I fight to you, the end. Stop you touching are, your hair, Mike. <laughs> well, that that was also accurate. That was also accurate. Oh, that uh, was correct. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what a random thing to be I, upset about. <laughs> I cannot wait. I cannot wait until this is done so that we can further. I did see, uh, yeah, I did see that you and Mr. Steve Morris over on Cinephiles had a discussion yes, about uh, artificial intelligence and yeah. vision and data after you got in trouble for basically calling vision a toaster. I didn't call him a toaster. It's three billion dollars <laughs> worth of vibranium. You don't get to bury him just because you got a heart broke. There's not that's not how this works in the real world. So anyway, but we'll see. And he's not a dog or a pet. Stop comparing him to a dog or a pet. That's completely different. He was a sentient being. Um, anyway, all right, let's uh, let's wrap it up there. Uh, we got things to run off and do, but we thank you all so much for uh, watching us here on the Geek Buddies show or downloading the Geek Buddies uh, on the podcast platforms. Ladies and gentlemen, we love all the views you give us, but don't forget we are also on the podcast platform as well. So take us along with you. Download, subscribe, just look for the Geek Buddies wherever you download podcasts. It's its own podcast feed. It is not under the Outlaw Nation podcast feed. It is its own feed. So go and subscribe there. If you want to take us along with you to listen to us, you don't have to turn on YouTube every time. But, we, but do YouTube, absolutely. So uh, anyway, all right, Shannon, what do we got to tell them? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MK2. And if you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca Says. Mikey? Uh, listen, whether you're man, woman, sea creature, 
trans, non-binary, sentient being who Roka does not think is a toaster. We welcome all here at the Geek Buddies. Uh, and we want to make it uh, as, as wide-ranging and accepting and welcoming as possible. And we love bringing new people on. And you guys can help us do that. Uh, and here's how you can do it. You can hit the like button below. You can subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw page and check out all of the awesome content that the Outlaw has. Leave some comments below because, as we were just saying, we do check them out. I love to see when Roka gets all steamy on there and starts, like, fighting back with his crazy opinions. Uh, you can... Listen to the podcast uh, on on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Anchor. Uh, definitely leave us some stars, leave us some rankings, leave us some comments there. And then the best thing that you can do is retweet this with the most clever and adorable retweet possible mm. to tell people to check out the Geek Buddies. Yeah, absolutely. And don't forget, WandaVision review for the season finale. We will let you know within the next few hours, I'm sure, if it's going to be live or if we're going to do a regular recording of it. The Mandalorian live review was really great. We shall see if we can line up our schedules to do that either on a Friday night or Saturday uh, in the morning. So we shall see. All right. Thanks, everybody, for watching this episode of Geek Buddies. We'll talk to you next time. Uh, on uh, And remember, practice your social distancing, wear your mask, and be safe. And we'll talk to you next week on another brand new episode of The Geek Buddies. <gasps> Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.